Hello and welcome back in everybody. We're back. I know it's been a little bit longer than I said in my last episode. I said we were going to start releasing every Wednesday, but it seems like my, uh, how do you say it? My study is going to go a little bit longer than that. So let's plan on releasing them every Sunday at least or Monday. Let's say with Monday for right now. I know this one's going to come out a little bit earlier on Sunday, but we'll say Monday just to be safe. There will always be an episode at least by Monday. And uh, like I said in my last episode, we're going to be talking a little bit of church history, some doctrines, some leaders, some cults, and some theologies. And this first little series I want to do is on some some teachers and leaders in the big Christian movement uh, that have happened only a couple hundred years ago, or less than a hundred years ago in some cases. I don't want to get too close to where we are right now. Uh, Maybe I will towards the end of this little series, but it's something that I've been interested in doing and getting some of these people because it's something that I've been recording not recording, but talking with people about. And so I want to study on some of these people that are influencing our uh, church today that we may not have known about. Uh, and like the end, what my new tagline is going to be is that we have to test our traditions to see where they came from or to see what outside influences or to see if what we believe comes from the scriptures and not from other people. Uh, that were outside of the Christian tradition as we know it. Now, I I wrote everything down. That's usually what I do. Uh, I did not write the Bible passages all down. So I am recording on my phone. So you may hear me clicking on my phone to try and find a Bible passage. But hopefully it's not too bad. And you may hear some page turnings. But again, hopefully it won't be caught on the microphone. Uh, But I hope everyone's doing well. I'm sitting here at like 1 a.m. on Sunday morning recording and I'm kind of staying up because I have a pork shoulder that is in the oven and it has to be in there for 12 hours so I wanted to stay up as late as I could uh, to make sure my house doesn't burn down so but with that all said let's get into our first person I don't know if we're going to get all the way through but you know, this may be a longer episode. Don't really know yet. Haven't recorded it. So we'll see how long it takes me to get through my notes. And maybe I'll put in a couple things that I remember that I didn't write down. But tonight or today, whenever you're listening, we're going to be talking about Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, she was born in 1821. She died in 1910. That makes her 89 years old. Uh, some of her influences in her theology, was a man by the name of Phineas P. Quimby. Parkhurst is his middle name. Uh, Also, she was influenced by Hinduism and spiritualism. And we'll get into more of that in her history. She was born in Bow, New Hampshire, of course in the U.S. Her parents were Mark Baker and Abigail Baker. Her children, she only had one. It was George Washington Glover II. Now, I, I may know what you're thinking of right now, where 
Her name is Mary Baker. Her parents were named Baker, but her last name was Eddie. Uh, That's from another one of her marriages. And then her child is named Glover. So uh, his last name is Glover. you'll, You'll find out pretty soon she was married quite a few times. So one of her spouses was... Her first spouse was George Washington Glover. Uh, he was married and he died after one year of marriage to her. And then she went on to marry a man by the name of Daniel Patterson. They were married for 20 years. Uh, and that was the longest marriage she had. And then he deserted her. There's a whole story behind that. Uh, one second. That... Uh, he deserted her, so him and Mary's father kind of did a thing where basically they took away her son, uh, Glover II, from her, and she didn't see him for, I forget how long it was, it might have been like 20 or so years, and then she only saw him a couple times after after that. So he was not a good marriage for her, obviously. And then her third and last husband was Asa Gilbert Eddy. That's where she gets the last name of Eddy. Uh, and they were married for six years, and then he died. Asa was probably the biggest influence on her life. Uh, it was definitely around the time where she discovered Christian science. Uh, she's known for Christian science. She's the founder. And she's also known for her book, Science and Health with Keys to Scripture. Now, that's a book that goes along with her Christian Science Church. Uh, They'll read a passage of the Bible, and then they'll read a co-assigned passage of Science and Health with Keys to Scripture. There's some interesting things I will get into later about that, uh, and I might repeat them multiple times, but... I really want you to get to know Mary Baker. I think she's quite important to today's Christianity in how she influenced some forms of Christianity. Uh, I would not call Christian science Christian or science. Like Justin Peter says, it's neither Christian or science, just like grape nuts. Is it grape? Is it nuts? It's neither. And it's a lot funnier when he says it. I'm just sitting here saying it to a microphone. So it's not as funny. But let's get into who she was. So her young life. uh, She was sickly for most of her life. uh, And it seems to have suffered. She seems to have suffered from an eating disorder. As she states in Science and Health. She wrote she had suffered from chronic indigestion as a child. And of course, hoping to cure this, uh, she embarked on a diet of nothing but water and bread and vegetables. That's the, the, the Daniel diet. And one of her quotes from this time period, she said, Thus we passed most of our early years, as many can attest, in hunger, pain, weakness, and starvation. Of course, she had a couple brothers uh, in her family, so she was talking about them. But this sickly appearance kind of led her to seek a cure for her many uh, sicknesses. And some of the cures she looked at was allopathy, homeopathy, 
hydropathy. That's where you drink a bunch of water and uh, believe that it flushes all of your sickness out. Interesting story about her and the hotel she went to. It was right before she kind of discovered Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. But uh, hydropathy and electricity. And those are just some of the major ones. Of course, she had a lot more things that she tested out. But I want to give a little a little insight to one of her bouts of sickness she had and an interesting story, I think. So on July 16th, 1838, when she was 17, she was received into her parents' church in Tilton, New Hampshire, according to the church records. So she was 17, according to the church records. But Eddie wrote in her autobiography that she was 12 when this happened. Uh, this, of course, is kind of picturing the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, and we'll see a lot of that kind of stuff. Kind of like the Daniel diet, this uh, 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. Uh, and so she lied about when she joined the church. Uh, it was five years after she says the time was, and it's in the church records. So don't think they were lying. You know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what Eddie's life kind of comes to and if we can actually trust her when she says things like this. But during this time, Eddie was discussing predestination with her pastor during her examination for her membership. Eddie objected so strongly to the idea of predestination and eternal damnation that it made her ill. So she did not like the doctrine of predestination. And she did not like the doctrines of eternal damnation, meaning that people go to hell for eternity. So she didn't like those things. And she wrote, here's what she said. My mother, as she bathed my burning temples, bade me lean on God's love, which would give me rest if I went to him in prayer, as I was wont to do. Seeking his guidance, I prayed in a soft glow of ineffable ineffable joy came over me. The fever was gone, and I rose, and I dressed myself in normal condition of health. Mother saw this and was glad. The physician marveled, and the horrible decree of predestination, as John Calvin rightly called his own tenant, forever lost its power over me. Now, this was her getting ill over a doctrine, just the idea of predestination and eternal damnation. Now, here's another thing that happened in our life, and this is kind of big. If you ever study Christian science, you will read about the fall in Lynn. And this is Lynn, Massachusetts, however you say that. Uh, So on February 1st, 1866, remember that date, Eddie slipped and fell on ice while walking in Lynn, Massachusetts, causing a spinal injury, which Baker stated on the third day. There's another little thing. Jesus, you know, rose on the third day. Thereafter, I called for my Bible and opened it at Matthew 9, 2, which says, And behold, they brought him a man sick of palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy son be of good cheer thy sins be forgiven thee 
that's the KJV reading. She said, As I read, the healing truth dawned upon my sense, and the result was that I arose, dressed myself, and ever after was in better health than I had before enjoyed. That short experience included a glimpse of the great fact that I have since tried to make plain to others, namely, life in and of spirit, this life being the sole reality of existence. Now, you can't see it, but she capitalizes the word life, spirit, and life again. This, of course, because life, spirit, and truth are all uh, synonyms for deity. Uh, so instead of Jesus, the Son, God, the Holy, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, uh, it's life, spirit, and truth. Keep that in mind uh, as we go along. Now, two accounts record this event this fall, both of which state that she was in serious condition. These are both newspaper articles. I'm not going to read them. Uh, and she had internal injuries and might be not, might not be long for this world. Of course, I said both of which recorded in the newspaper articles from Lynn. The doctor who saw Mary, Dr. Cushing, denies all claims that her fall was life-threatening, saying in his affidavit in 1904, quote, I did not at any time declare or believe that she, that there was no hope of Mrs. Patterson's recovery or that she was in critical condition. Uh, also, Gordon Clark confirmed Eddie's critics in a letter to the Boston Herald. I have a recent letter from Cushing in which he utterly denies the whole substance of her assertion. Her injury was mostly a jar of her imagination and a contusion of her veracity. Eddie, Eddie later filed a claim for money from the city of Lynn for her injury on the grounds that she was, quote, still suffering from the effects of that fall, though she afterwards withdrew the lawsuit. Now, I know I said remember a lot of things. So remember 1866, remember the fall in Lynn, and remember her saying that she still suffered from the effects of that fall. Now, there's a bunch of controversy saying that her husband, uh, Mr. Patterson, pressured her into claiming a lawsuit. But, of course, uh, Mrs. Eddy, being a Christian scientist and saying that she still suffered, uh, is very weird, I would say. Because, as we'll get into later, you don't ever acknowledge that you're sick or injured because then you make it real and so it's a little bit strange that uh, she claims this and that the lawsuit was happening because it would go culturally different to what she claims Christian science is and also her statement of being healed uh, on the third day after reading her Bible so this would go against her claim of being healed and also against her entire a thought of Christian science. Now, I want to get into her thoughts of the use of medicine and kind of what she did with medicine. So, 
There's two biographers, Ernest Sutherland Bates and Edwin Frandon Dockin, who describe Eddie as a morphine addict. Now, Miranda Rice, who was a friend and close student of Eddie, told a newspaper in 1906, quote, I know that Mrs. Eddie was addicted to morphine in the 70s. Calvin Fry, uh, who was Eddie's personal secretary, suggested that Eddie occasionally reverted to, quote, the old morphine habit, which is strange that uh, she was taking morphine because, yet again, they don't really believe in sickness. And if she was taking morphine, that means she believed that uh, she was suffering, which goes against Christian science. She also paid for a mastectomy for her sister-in-law, Strange yet again, Eddie also advised her son to get her grandchildren vaccinated, saying that by your prayers, vaccination will do the children no harm, Uh, which is yet, you know, a little bit of a sore subject nowadays with vaccinations, but uh, she said that their prayers would make the vaccinations basically not work. Or maybe not not work, but more so not harm the children if they get vaccinations because uh, their faith would basically count them as mute. Uh, that the vaccinations would basically just be like injecting water into yourself. They wouldn't do anything. Also, an interesting note, Eddie also used glasses for several years for very fine print, but later disposed with them almost entirely. Now, there's a whole story behind her glasses and the use of her glasses uh, that mainly she was healed and could read and all this stuff when she was in her old age. But I didn't want to get into that story because it would make this whole thing a lot longer. A lot of these little stories would make the thing a whole lot longer, but I think you get the gist of what she thought about medicine uh, and what kind of a medicine and stuff she used. Now, I wanted to get into one of her influences, Hinduism. Yet again, another controversial subject. Everything that comes up with Mrs. Eddy is a controversial subject, unless it goes towards her and affirms what she was doing. So this is about Hinduism. In the 24th edition of Science and Health, up to the 33rd edition, Eddy admitted the harmony between... Uh, excuse me, Vedanta philosophy in Christian science, a Hindu philosophy. She also quoted the English translation of the Bhagavad Gita, but they were later removed. Now, before going further, I want to establish what Eddie's views on her own book were. Uh, Mainly the question of Was it inspired, and is it the key to understanding the Bible, the keys of the scripture, that Christians didn't have for hundreds, you could actually say thousands of years, at least a thousand. (laughs) But did did Miss Eddie believe her book that she wrote was inspired, and was it the key to understanding the Bible? Now, I found this on the Christian Science website. It says, and I quote, Mrs. Eddy 
opened her Bible, the verse in Jeremiah, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. That's Jeremiah 32. It says, That clear message to her from God prompted her to write science and health with keys to scriptures. Now this would obviously say to most people that she believed that her book was inspired, if not verbally communicated to her from God. Uh, Just taken the way that she interprets this passage of that the Lord was speaking to her and to write the things that was spoken to her in a book. That would be inspiration, uh, personal direct revelation. Now, I guess this method of discovering what God is saying, uh, what God is saying to you worked for Mrs. Eddy, but this could have gone much worse. She could have turned to Matthew 27, 5 that says, Then Judas went out and hung himself. Then puzzled, she could have called for a do-over and turned again and landed on Luke 10.37, which said, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Flustered, she could have prayed and tried one last time and turned to John 13.27, which says, what you are about to do, do quickly. Obviously, this is not how we read the Bible. And to answer the question, yes, she believed what she wrote was inspired and new revelation. She even claimed to go to heaven. Now, all that to say is that to see what God is saying to us, we don't just flip to a random page of the Bible, put our finger down and say, oh, I'll take this verse. Or, you know, I've done that before and then landed on a verse that I was like, oh, this doesn't really do anything so I'm going to turn to the next verse or it's something bad that I don't want and that seems to do be what Mrs. Eddy did with uh, her claims of writing her new book uh, Science and Health with Keys to the Scripture now and that's that's important the inspiration part of her book yet again you have to keep a lot of things in mind But keep in mind that she says this book is inspired. She believed that it was inspired and without error. Now, I want to get into Mr. Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. And I want to say, you know, how she was influenced by him. We went over, of course, the Hinduism. We probably won't go over spiritualism. uh, But I wanted to get uh, Phineas in here because he... He was probably the biggest influence on Mrs. Eddy. Now, who was he? He was a mesmerist. Uh, That's basically what you would think it would mean. That means he hypnotized people. You know, a mesmerist. And he was also a leader of a metaphysical cult. Metaphysical meaning beyond the physical realm. Uh, The cult was known as New Thought. Eddy got, quote-unquote, healed by (laughs) Quinby... And new thought meant if you think happy thoughts, you get good outcomes. And vice versa, if you think bad thoughts, you get bad outcomes. Eddie relapsed many times, but thought Quimby was on to something, and she added a biblical element to his teachings. Early on in Eddie's healing career, she attributed attributed her healings 
methods to Quimby. Whenever she would heal someone, she'd say, yes, I learned this from Phineas Quimby. It's an important thing. And of course, this this all happened before 1866 and 1864. Happened before then is when she was involved with uh, Mr. Quimby. Now, I want to talk about uh, the origins of Christian science and really the changing of when it was discovered from 1864, it was changed to 1866. Of course, you remember 1866 was the fall in Lynn, uh, and that's where she changed her story. And keep in mind that destructive groups change their stories and try to cover them up. Like Mormons, uh, you know, they they don't want you to know how... Oh man, of course his name's going to slip my mind. The leader of Mormonism, the guy who discovered it. Anyways, how he discovered it and the changing story of how he discovered things and how stuff happened uh, in the early days of Mormonism. They try to cover it up just like... Christian science does. They want you to know one story, but not the other story. But if she really had revelation from God, there should be no need no need to change the story. This going on to say that Christian science and, and Health with Keys of the Scripture, the book, has had over 266 editions, revised editions, some of them aren't revised in a major way, but especially the early ones. So one, I think it's one, two, three, six, eight, and then you get a couple more like 266 and the last version in 1910. All were changed in major ways. Of course, some of the earlier ones got rid of Hinduism. Uh, some of them got rid of the Bhagavad Gita. Some of them got rid of... Uh, you know, just all sorts of things or changed like this, the date of when it was discovered, which is a big deal. Now, why change the origins? Why did she change it from 1864 to 1866? Well, in 1883, a man by the name of Julius Dresser began giving lectures and writing articles that allege that Mrs. Eddy got many of her ideas from Quinby. Of course, you know, She wanted this to be a Christian thing. It's the keys to the scripture. So you don't want to be uh, tied with a metaphysical cult leader. Uh, So you want to claim that you didn't, you know, it didn't come from him. But of course, like I said, uh, a lot of her early healings, quote unquote, were attributed to Mr. Quimby's uh, metaphysical healing things. And so she changed it. Now, she changed the date to the fallen Lynn because Phineas Quimby had died only a few weeks before the fall on the ice. So he was dead. And so she changed it to 1866. That means that no one could really question that she got anything from Quimby because he wasn't alive. And so if Christian science was discovered in 1866 then she could claim that it was all her and not Quimby. Now, it looks like we are going to get to the end of this thing without, you know, a whole lot of time going by. I, I read through my notes fast. There's, there's a lot of things, and I probably could slow down on some, but 
I really just want to get the main points and then I'll talk a little bit. But I want to talk some about the beliefs. I want to refute some of them and also see how they affect Christians today. Now, this is where I'm going to be playing with my phone because I have to look up Bible verses that I do not have memorized. I am sorry. And there are a lot of them. Now, the first belief I want to talk about, and I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm just going to talk about maybe three. Uh, But I want to talk about her view of man as God. Now, in the first edition of Christian Science and Health with Keys to Scripture, it's a mouthful, on page 212. So this is the first edition to ever come out. She says, To become less sense and more soul, that's a synonym for God's soul right there, is the recipe for beauty. But to teach its standard, we must put all sin, sickness, and sorrow under the feet of our God being and rise superior to them. Retreat from the belief of pain or pleasure in the body to the unchanging, quiet, and glorious freedom of impersonal bliss. Now you... You might have caught, I'll reread the little part that I really want to hone in on is, but to reach its standard, we must put all sin, sickness, and sorrow under the feet of our, O-U-R, God being. So she's saying that we have a God being. Now to refute this, I think is pretty easy, but I do have some Bible verses And of course, you can look them up whenever you want. But uh, the first one is Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and we'll read through verse 5. It says, Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in shape of anything in the heaven above or on earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I... The Lord your God am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So, <clears throat> pretty obvious here that, uh, you know, he is the only God and he's a jealous God. There are no other gods because he's the one who made everything. Now, I also want to point out to refute this point is that God is self-existent, which we will find in John 5, verse 26. It says, Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Oh, wow, that is the wrong verse. Oh, no. Oh, I'm in John 9. That's why. <laughs> oh, the live recording. You gotta love it. So it's John 5. 26 it says for just as the father has life in himself so also he has granted to the son to have life in himself now also God has unlimited power which for that we will look in Matthew 19 verse 26 which says but Jesus looked at them and said with all with men this is impossible but with God all things are possible 
he also, sorry, has uh, infinite knowledge. Thank you, Tyler. That's Acts 2.23, which says, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. So just showing here that God had the knowledge of everything that was going to happen and used the things that he wanted. We also find in Acts 15, 18, we should have highlighted these. Oh, that he, it, it just says known from long ago. So we'll read 17. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who does these things known from long ago. Basically saying that, you know, he knew that David's, uh, that he would rebuild David's fallen tent, uh, that he would rebuild, you know, basically the house of God. And so he knew what was going to happen. And this is just showing that God knows everything. He also has creative power found in Romans 11 verse 36 the last verse for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen and then we also see that there is only one God and for this one we're going to go back to the Old Testament Deuteronomy Chapter 4, starting in verse 35, we'll go to 39. You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other God besides Him. He lets you hear His voice from heaven to instruct you. He showed you His great fire on earth, and you heard His words from the fire. Because He loved your fathers, He chose their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by His presence and great power. To drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you in and give you their land as an inheritance, as is now taking place. Today recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above one above on earth, and there is no other. Just God claiming that He is God and that there's no other God. I also want to read one last one just to drive this point home so that no one uh, gets it confused. In Isaiah 43, verse 10, he says, You are my witness. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. Is God in his own words saying that he is the only God. So that's what uh, Mrs. Eddie believes about man is that man has a God being and that we can become God. Uh, this will be explained a little bit more in the second topic, which is what she believes about the second coming and about Christ himself. In one of her books, uh, Miscellany, Miscellany uh, 118.27, Eddie says, 
it is authentically said that one expositor of Daniel's dates fixed the year 1866 or 1867 for the return of Christ, the return of the spiritual idea to the material earth or anthropod of heaven. It is a marked coincidence that those dates were the first two years of my discovery of Christian science. Of course, you know, we, we know that her date of Christian science was in 1864 until she changed it to 1866. So this quote is kind of useless, but that is what she says. Now, to understand what she is saying about Christ, we have to understand her beliefs of Christ. Of course, she said that Christ returned in 1866. So, what does she believe about him? She rejects the deity but not the divinity of Jesus. Seeing his life as as exemplifying a divine sonship that belongs to all men and women as God's children. In Keys to the Scripture 10.32, she says, Jesus was born of Mary. Christ is the true idea, voicing good, the divine message, message, from God to men, speaking to the human consciousness. So we she so we see she doesn't believe in the biblical Jesus. He is an idea, not a true person of the Trinity. She also believe she also has beliefs about what Christ's death accomplished. Instead of conquering sin and death, it destroyed the idea of evil. So now evil slash sickness is only real if we believe it but we see exactly what Christ died for. And to see exactly what Christ died for, we will look at 1 Peter. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I just got, my throat got really dry. I'm talking a lot. It's hard doing a podcast by yourself because you just keep on talking. But 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sin, sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to god after being put to death in the fleshly realm but made alive in the spiritual realm Uh, that's the holman christian standard so he died for sins he died for us to make us righteous not to make us gods not for the idea uh he wasn't an idea He was a real person that died in the fleshly realm, as it says. In Ephesians 2, 13, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Of course, uh, speaking why he died, that he died for us. He died for his people. Also, in Isaiah, there's Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah says, But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we were healed by his wounds just saying why Christ died. He died because we are sinful man. 
That's why Christ died. Not, not, uh, not like she says that, uh, he was the idea of voicing good. Uh, he wasn't speaking to the human consciousness. He was paying for sins. In her view of Christ, as just an idea is wrong, and hence why she believes she is the second coming of the idea of Christ. That is what she believes. She believes she is the second coming, which of course in her mind, uh, Christ is just an idea. And so you can reach that level of an idea. Uh, and of course she did, or she believes she did. Now those are the two things I really want to talk about. And this is really why I did the whole study, is how it affects Christians' views today. This is a big one. This is kind of what it all led to. It's not accepting a word. I'll explain. So in Science and Health 357.1, Mrs. Eddy says, In common justice, we must admit that God will not punish man for doing what he created man capable of doing and knew from the outset that men would do. God is, quote, of purer eyes than to behold evil. That's Habakkuk 1.13. She says, we, we sustain truth, capitalized, not by accepting, but by rejecting a lie. Now, she kind of twists the scripture here of Habakkuk. Uh, of course, if you've read Habakkuk, it's him lamenting over uh, the punishment that the Chaldeans are bringing upon the Israelites. Uh, and he's saying, basically, not that how Mrs. Eddy would see it, that God literally cannot look upon evil, but that Habakkuk is saying that God is holy and that he cannot tolerate evil. And through this whole thing, God eventually says that he will take vengeance, that Habakkuk needs to be patient, that God knows this evil is happening, and it's happening for a purpose, and that God will take vengeance on the ones that are enacting the evil. Oh, sorry, I don't know where my water is. I should have brought it over here. So we see here something that a lot of Christians do. When someone says something negative... Uh, for instance, I should have wrote something down, but for instance, you say, I, you know, you, you look really sick. Are you feeling okay today? This is really just a simple thing. They'll say, I reject that, or I don't take that word. Uh, they'll, they'll just, even if they are sick, they'll say, I, I reject it. I don't accept that word over my life. Uh, as if reality was not real. And by the pure movement, momentum of their words, they can break reality. This is a pagan line of thinking and is dressed up in our culture's Christianese, but is no more biblical than the place this thing came from. That, that whole idea of, I reject that, I, I don't accept that word, even though someone's speaking the truth, saying, hey, you look sick, are you feeling okay? Uh, this, this is where this comes from. Now, 
Eddie, of course, was influenced and taught by Quimby, teaching of positive confession, where you think and speak good thoughts, and that is what gets you, that's what, that's what comes back, and vice versa. But is this biblical? No, it is not found in the Bible. God is the ruler, and he determines what happens. And I want to take us to Psalms real quick, and then we'll end. Let me let me get there first. It's not too far away from my Isaiah where we were just at. So Psalms 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. And people may be inclined to think, well, you know, yeah, sure, he's in heaven. He can do whatever he wants there. And just a few chapters later, in Psalms 135, Verse 6 says, Yahweh does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Now, this being said, and maybe we'll have to get into this in another episode. Yes, our words are powerful, but they are not sovereign. They do not control what is going to happen this whole idea of speaking something into existence comes from Christian science. The idea of speaking a word and rejecting a word because it, you know, it may uh, show reality, like saying, oh man, I just hurt my leg. Someone saying, no, I don't accept that word for you. That does not do anything. That is Christian science. That is not biblical exegesis. In conclusion, some of the views of Christian science still still permeate our Christian culture. Like the Word of Faith movement is where it's really bad. But we must test our views and see if it comes from the outside sources or from our tradition or if it comes from the infallible, sufficient Word of God. I'll leave you with this, that you will know them by their fruit. I want to tie back in the, the Fruits podcast. That'll be my closing statement every time. You'll know them by their fruit. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, let me know on Twitter or through the email, and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.